Welcome to Alternative Dog Moms Podcast. I'm Kimberly Gautier, the creator of Keep the Tail Wagging. For the past nine years, I've been blogging about raw feeding, pet wellness, and life as a crazy dog mom. I've seen massive improvements in my dog's health since I started raising my dogs naturally, and I'm passionate about sharing my experience to help other pet parents. I'm Erin Scott. For the past nine years, I've been researching and learning everything I can about healing cancer, allergies, autoimmune, and mystery illnesses in both my dogs and myself. And I can't wait to share with you everything I've learned on this journey. As the Alternative Dog Moms, we're bringing you all the latest dog health news that we're following and sharing the tips, tricks, and resources we learn along the way. Now, let's get started. I know it's good to see you. It's been a couple weeks, and we have a guest today. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Erin. Hello, Kimberly. Nice to meet you guys. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about today. Yes, me too. Me too. I always want to know more about homeopathy. Now, I always love starting out with a good origin story, and I know that you have a great origin story because it involves Julianne Lee in some way. Is that right? It does, yes. It involves Julianne Lee in a significant way. Uh, 1998, my, my elderly dog got very sick. He Actually, he got really sick after his vaccinations. So he got a full round of vaccinations, including rabies. And after that, he just, he became a different dog. He aged really quickly. He was, he was 15 at the time, but he was really healthy. He was still hiking with me and um, he was very vital. And he got those vaccines and he all of a sudden developed really severe kidney disease, liver disease. He stopped eating. He became way more... Uh, demented, like losing his bathroom habits, getting stuck in corners. And he stopped eating was the main thing. And my veterinarian said, well, you know, he's an old dog. I don't know what else. How old was he? No, he was 16. My veterinarian said, there's really not much we can do for him. He's very old. So just let me know when you need to put him down. And I didn't want to give up. So I went into this store on Commercial Drive here in Vancouver and they, I said, what can I feed my dog? He won't eat. He, he won't eat any of his kibble. He won't eat any of his canned food. And she said, why don't you try raw? And I looked at her like she had three heads and it's like, <laughs> raw, raw what? Raw meat. Ah, uh, They can eat raw meat? Yes. So she had one prepared raw food on the market there. So I took it home. I thought it and I put it down on his plate and he started eating like I'd never seen him eat before. And I was like, wow, why has it never dawned on me that this is what they should be eating? Mm -hmm. So it started me on a journey and I thought, well, I don't know how much I'm supposed to be feeding him. And he was a bit of a wild guy anyway. So, you know, he took to raw like crazy. And I contacted the owner of the company and she said, you need to, you need to contact Julianne Lee, just, just here's her number, phone her, make an appointment with her, go in and see her. So I did that. And I brought Toby in to see Julie and changed his life, changed my life, set me on a completely different course. I started feeding him raw food. We treated him homeopathically and naturopathically, so supplements and diet. And he he recovered beautifully. And he had really good quality for another year and a half. And then 
the last six months of his life was kind of touch and go, but he was 18 when he passed away. Wow. What type of dog? Yeah, it's a terrier mix, Mm -hmm. terrier beagle mix. Nice. Got him when I was in my 20s. (laughs) He saw me through a lot, (laughs) like a lot of our dogs do, right? I think it's interesting because, you know, we hear these stories time and time and again. And, you know, when I'm talking to someone usually, you know, via social media who does not believe in anything that we swear by, you know, it's all pseudoscience as far as they're concerned. And there's no way you can really explain it to them because they're, you know, like, where are the studies and, you know, where's the evidence and where's the proof? That's just anecdotal. Just because you had that experience doesn't mean all dogs have that experience. You know, maybe it was something else. They're so excited and anxious to talk it down and make it go away. And I would think that they would be like, wow, that's a great story. What did you do? And then what's next? And, and I find that it's just so baffling to me. Especially with homeopathy, right? Like, I feel like it's so controversial in in some ways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is controversial. It's controversial because it's misunderstood. So I think the main reason why so many people and conventional or allopathic medical systems criticize homeopathy is because they don't think that something that is so diluted can do anything. So they just say it's placebo. Mm -hmm. But when we see the evidence in front of our own eyes, like you just mentioned, Kimberly, about that it's anecdotal, or maybe there was something else. But we've had cases where, where animals in, in severe kidney failure, we start treating them homeopathically, we do other things as well. But it's the homeopathy that really seems to stave off the inevitable for it can be a long period of time where they can maintain with, with kidney failure. So really high kidney numbers when veterinarians just look at that and they say, this shouldn't be happening. When you have kidney disease that is that advanced, your animal is not going to live much longer. And we have animals living one year, two year, three years, five years, even cats and dogs with really severe pathologies using homeopathy. And the veterinarians just say, well, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it because it's working. Mm-hmm. And we can't explain how it's working, but there is a science of behind homeopathy and how it works. And I think that that's probably the most misunderstood thing is because we don't have the mechanisms to measure something that is so groundbreaking So the science we know today cannot explain how homeopathy works, but we are learning more about how it works. And really, we feel that the premise of homeopathy, where you give highly diluted, minute doses, so so diluted that there's no molecules of the original source crude substance material in there. So how does that work? Well, they've done quite a few studies now showing that the water, so you take a, the way you make a homeopathic remedy is you have the source material, whether it's a plant, a mineral, or an animal source. Those are our three main sources or kingdoms in homeopathy. So you make a full strength tincture out of that. So a very concentrated solution. And then you start diluting one drop of that into a hundred drops of distilled water, 
and you succuss 100 times. So succussing is banging on a firm surface 100 times. So that is your first dilution of a homeopathic remedy. And then you take that solution and you dilute it the same way. You succuss 100 times and you do this tens, hundreds, and thousands of times. The more you dilute, the stronger it becomes. So it's extremely opposite to anything that we know. And what they've done is they've they've taken and looked under the microscope about the molecules of water and that homeopathic remedies are. So the water and, and alcohol is what they're made in. And you can differentiate the plain water compared to the homeopathic water. So the structures are different. And then there's a difference even between the potencies. So the structures in the water of different potencies of the same remedy, you can distinguish and differentiate. And what they think is that through the process of dilution, not only through dilution, because when you dilute a substance, it the molecules scatter. But at a certain point of dilution, the molecules come back together and actually form very strong bonds. So the bonds of, of everything in the water, the, the hydrogen, the oxygen, etc., is um, stronger when you dilute it past a certain point and different. And then also that combined with succussion, they think that the little, tiny little microscopic gaseous bubbles contain that source material. And it contains an energetic vibration. So we've been we've been talking a lot lately and doing a lot of um, research into the effect of different magnetic frequencies, electromagnetic frequencies, on the body and on our cells. And we know in this day and age we are subjected to high frequency radiation, EFs, radio frequencies, electromagnetic frequencies, radioactive energy, all the time. It's all around us. It's in our cell phones. It's on our computers. If you have electricity in your house, it's in your wall. The further you get away from it, the lower the the frequency is. But these frequent, everything in nature has a distinct pattern, signature frequency. So one of the videos on our website, the the, the opening video uh, that Linda Stead and I put together on our website, we wanted to really have people moved by it. And we talk about frequency. So everything in nature has a frequency. A cat's purr, you know what it feels like when your cat is purring and sitting on you. It's just like, oh, it is so incredibly healing and calming. And you just get such a sense of well-being when a cat is purring. But cats also purr when they're sick. They purr to heal themselves. And that frequency of a cat's purr is between 25 to 150 hertz. It's a very low frequency sound. It's a frequency that is in harmony with nature. So plants, animals, rocks, minerals, water, trees, everything has a vibration. We are vibrating. Our cells in our body are vibrating. And depending on the level of this frequency, the harmony or the disharmony, this is what causes disease in the body. So homeopathic remedies, these tiny little sugar pills that you take and you put under your tongue or you put it on the side of your dog's gums or cats, they're actually changing the frequency 
of the vibration in your body and the vibration of what's making you sick. So when we talk about it being energetic medicine, it's energetic medicine, but it's vibrational frequency medicine. And we use these types of frequencies in conventional medicine all the time. I mean, lasers create frequency. Um, magnetic resonance imaging is frequency. Uh, ultrasound is sound vibration that is measuring. So it, it, we're using this technology of sound vibration and frequency. And there was a study done uh, quite a few years ago uh, that showed that cancer cells will explode and die at a very high frequency. I think it was 50,000 hertz or something like that. Between 50,000 and or 100,000 and 300,000 hertz can actually wipe out cancer cells. Do we, do we use this in our medical systems? No. What we're trying to do in our medical systems is we're trying to get rid of the symptom in the body, whether it's cancer, whether it's pain, whether it's disease process, whether it's heart condition, we're, we're trying to eliminate it, but we're also overpowering the body with a synthetic version of a drug that may have originally been derived from a natural source. And we're creating, you know, we might be able to get rid of the symptom, but then we create all kinds of other things and side effects in the body. So there's a lot of toxicity with that as well. Yeah. So I've seen those homeopathic remedies like in our, you know, supplement stores. We have Seattle Super Supplements has them. How do does the average pet parent know what to get and if those are appropriate? Because, you know, it's interesting when people on social media, you know, novices start talking about homeopathy, everyone starts sharing links to those. And it's just sort of like, is it really that easy? Or should we really be looking to a professional that help guide us? A really good question. It, it, it can be that easy, but it depends on what you're trying to treat. So if you go into a drugstore or a health store and you see homeopathic remedies on there, something as, as fairly straightforward as Arnica is for trauma and bruising. So if your animal has an injury or you have an injury and you want to naturally reduce the inflammation, Arnica would be a really good and safe remedy to use for that. I used it yesterday. <laughs> good. <laughs> Very good, Erin. Apis for bee stings. Apis is a really good remedy for bee stings and wasp stings and, and insect bites where there's that inflammation and redness and pain and that real histamine response. Apis is made from the bee. So the premise of homeopathy is like cures like. You're giving the same substance in homeopathic form that in its crude form would cause those symptoms. So we give apis for a bee sting. You know, it, it's it's kind of safe to use that, but you may have not always have success using it because you're you're guessing and you're just thinking, oh, well, this remedy is for a bee sting. This remedy is for pain and inflammation. Um, when you get things that are more complicated learning how to use homeopathy properly and knowing how the system of medicine works. So if I just, you know, give you a book or or you look up online uh, and you get some advice about these are the top remedies for, let's say, bee stings or diarrhea, or nausea and vomiting. So you can sort of try each one and look at the main characteristic symptoms of that, what is associated with that remedy and try a few of them. 
but it's a little bit hit and miss. Seeking professional help is always a good idea, but sometimes it's not always easy to access it when it comes to homeopathy. So learning how to use, that's what the trouble that I run into is that um, I have so many people asking me for help and I'm so overwhelmed with clients that um, I I also don't know who to send people to. Mm -hmm. So what we've been trying to create with these courses is to teach people how to do it, not just teach you what remedy to give for what, but how you practice and study homeopathy how you repertorize a remedy, which is finding the symptoms that correlate with the symptoms of the remedy compared to the symptoms that's going on with your animal, and teaching you actually how to do it. So teaching you what homeopaths learn. It's a crash course in it, but it gives you way better tools so that you know how to properly assess your animal, like take your animal's case and go through all the points that you need to. And then you go to the repertory to see what remedies come up highest. And then you go to the Materia Medica, which is like the Bible of homeopathy, all the remedies and all the thousands of symptoms that can be associated with each remedy. And there are, you know, 8,000 remedies. So how do you hone it down? So we teach you how to hone that down and find the remedy that would be most appropriate or maybe you'll find the top three and then you can start using and knowing how to dose and how to repeat and how high a potency or low potency should you use. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. So just sort of... uh jumping on to that, does it matter where you're getting the remedies from? Like, is it okay to buy the ones that you see at the grocery store or on Amazon? Or like, is there like a better quality? Should you be looking for anything specific to denote like what is a a high quality brand or or remedy to use? There are a few different brands of remedies, Erin. Voiron is probably the one that people are most familiar with. (laughs) Amazon does sell no, they sell everything. But Boiron, Homeocan, Unda is another brand. Oh my gosh, there are there are so many different brands, but I usually stick with Boiron or Homeocan. Homeocan, they're both Canadian companies. They're both in uh, Quebec, Quebec. And you just have to be sure if you're ordering from Amazon, if you get the remedy and it's sealed properly, then you can probably be sure that that is a good source. But um, there are several, uh, I think homeopathic, there are like homeopathic pharmacies online that you can order from, which might be more appropriate and try to get it from like a small, instead of getting it from Amazon, try to get it from maybe a smaller distributor or online seller. But if you buy, buy the Boyron pellets, you, you'd probably be pretty safe knowing that they're good. I order most of my remedies from Homeocan. 
Um, because as a homeopath, I want to get the liquid medicating potency. That's a whole other discussion. But uh, that's where I get my remedies from. And then I make my own remedies from the liquids that I have, which are really high alcohol liquids. They're not for use for people to take. So and the pellets are like a, a small peppercorn size pellet. And when you're giving that to animals, two pellets crushed and the powder goes along the gums is how you usually give the remedies. Um, are we not supposed to touch them? Correct. You don't want to touch them because the oils in your skin can affect the remedies. And you're also absorbing the remedy through your skin. So you want to try not to touch remedies. You want to, uh, so crushing them, you take two of the pellets. You can usually use the little vestibule thing that comes with it. Dump them onto a spoon. Crush them between two spoons, right? Like spooning the pellets. You wrap it with a tissue or something because they're very hard pellets and they tend to spray out. So wrapping with a tissue, you can crush them into powder fairly well, collect anything back from the tissue onto the spoon, and then loosen the powder on the spoon and it goes right along the gums for your animal. If you're taking them, you just stick the pellets under your tongue and let them dissolve. So you try not to touch the pellets. You want to not have any food or water about 10 minutes before or after the remedy so that it dissolves sublingually. And you always want to store homeopathic remedies about three or four feet away from electrical devices, <laughs> electromagnetic frequencies, because they are affected by, by energy more than by heat or light. A cool, dark place is the best thing and away from electrical stuff. Yeah, we have, uh, you know, all our dogs supplements and things in the kitchen and uh, I have let them, I hope I'm saying that right, yeah. uh, in case of tick bites. And I had to make a note to myself not to keep it where I had it because it was right next to the microwave. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, now we don't really use our microwave for much. We just sort of have it there <laughs> to like put things on top of mostly. Um, but yeah, I moved that into like our, our dog closet. <laughs> That's good. And not in the fridge. So people say, well, should I be storing it in the fridge? No, because it's one massive electrical device mm. beside the fridge or on the fridge. So away from appliances, away from the Wi-Fi modems, away from your cell phone, etc. So I have noticed uh, that at times some of the names of the remedies sound intimidating. Like I know there's one that's Belladonna, for instance, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I thought yeah. that was not good. <laughs> it's poison. Right. <laughs> is another one made from arsenic. Right, right. So can you explain to us why it's still safe to use those, even though these sound like scary names? <laughs> they are scary names because they're made from, well, Belladonna is made from deadly nightshade, which is in a very, you know, this is centuries ago, but it was in, in Samuel Hahnemann's time. So he was the founder of homeopathy. He was born in 1796. Belladonna is one of the things that, that women used to take because deadly nightshade would, would make your pupils dilate. So you would your, your eyes would look black and very engaging and alluring, and your skin would turn white. So this was a very attractive uh, look, I guess. <laughs> it's not my thing, but it's, it was a very uh, very attractive look back in that day. But it's poison. I mean, you're taking poison. You take too much of it, you'll die. It causes all kinds of heart stuff. Uh, it's an hallucinogenic uh, substance. Belladonna, so what we talked about, 
it's so diluted, right? There are no molecules of belladonna in it. In a 6C, so the potencies, the most common potencies you'll get are uh, like a, a, a 3X, a 6X, a 10X. There, there are still molecules in the X potencies, but again, it's still so highly diluted. Even that first dilution, right? That would be a one, not even a one X. I think it takes a bit longer to get to a one X, but we aren't, we aren't usually using remedies quite that low in the belladonnas and stuff, but it's still so diluted, right? So once we get into the, the, the X potencies are in the tens, tens of times diluted, right? Roman numerals X. C is in the hundreds. So hundreds of times it's been diluted. Like you, it's so diluted. There's, it's not going to harm you at all. And then the M potencies are even higher and those are in the thousands. So you get into 1M, 10M, 50M. I mean, you can just imagine how, how dilute that is. I never knew what those letters meant. Me either. (laughs) I just know Belladonna from um, Practical Magic. (laughs) Yes, Belladonna. So one thing I noticed that you had on your website that I was extremely interested in. So Mm. Kimberly and I are both uh, people who rescue and adopt animals. And you have some information about spay-neuter. And, you know, as I learn more and more and more about spay-neuter, I'm wishing that it wasn't such an automatic thing Mm -hmm. in the rescue world for health perspectives. Um, And so you actually had some information about how homeopathy can support animals that have been spay-neutered. And I found that fascinating uh, to learn about. There is information that I am desperately trying to convey to people about what is a healthy life for your animal. And we don't spay and neuter for their health. So that I'm going to say that unequivocally, it is not in the best interest of your dog or cat's health to spay and neuter them. That's going to be a controversial statement to make because, well, what about mammary cancer? What about testicular cancer? What about, you know, that those are the things they say are the big risks, right? You spay a female before she goes into her first heat to avoid mammary cancer. Mammary cancer is way more prevalent in females that are intact. But when you spay and neuter an animal, especially when you spay them before maturity, you're taking away those health beneficial hormones that they need one for their development of their entire body, but especially their musculoskeletal system. And you are like those hormones play a a huge role in the entire life of that animal. And in our lives, like what, how, how, how do you think we would develop if at the age of five, we had our uterus and ovaries removed or boys had their testicles removed? You're dramatically impacting the development of that individual. So spaying and neutering, a lot of that information about why that spay and neuter, it really is for pet population control. That's how it started. And the studies that were done, they're, they're, the studies about the mammary cancer, that's like 40, 40 years old. There is so much more updated information telling us that it's not for their health. And in fact, they are at higher risk of much more severe and life-threatening cancers if you spay and neuter them. So testicular cancer, 
can be dealt with or, you know, uh, enlarged prostate in males, that is hypertrophy of or enlargement of the prostate. It's a benign condition. You can treat it, but neutering will also solve that problem as neutering will also solve testicular cancer. So if it comes up down the road, it's something that you can do at that time. In females, they're at higher risk of, of much more severe cancers. Bone cancers is one of the thing. Osteosarcoma, especially in large breed dogs that were neutered before maturity. So you should always wait until they're really completely mature before you neuter or spay the large breeds. And I would say that would be three years old, maybe one year old for the small dogs and probably two for the medium to larger dogs. But it's it's a real tragedy because we're creating so much disease in our animals by spaying and neutering them. And we're doing it, we think we're doing the right thing. And veterinarians are still just, yeah, spay and neuter them at six or seven months. It's healthier for them. It's better for them. And it's, it's, it's not. There have been new studies done about something called luteinizing hormone. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Um, but there is a veterinarian in Oregon State who is doing a tremendous amount of research on this. And what they have discovered is that luteinizing hormone, which is produced in the hypothalamus, it's the developmental hormone. So the, the gonads, being the ovaries and the testicles, they send out signals to the hypothalamus. The, the, they don't. The hormones do. So estrogen, progesterone, testosterone send signals to the hypothalamus gland in the brain to trigger luteinizing hormone to develop, go throughout the body and attach itself to all these different body systems to help those body systems develop. When you take away the gonads, luteinizing hormone is still being produced and floating free in the body and attaching itself. It doesn't have anything regulating it. So it's those hormones produced by the gonads are what are regulating factor over luteinizing hormone. And we now suspect that luteinizing hormone could be one of the big culprits in causing all of these disease processes that we see happening in animals that are spayed and neutered. And the list is really, really long. If you read that article, um, it's everything from uh, bone diseases, uh, kidney issues, urinary tract issues, um, gastric malfunction, heart issues. I mean, it goes on and on and on and behavior issues. This is the other thing. Dogs and cats, it's a bit of a different thing with cats, right? Because cats that are not neutered or not spayed, they're really, really hard to live with, almost impossible to live with, right? So I always say with cats, try to try to wait as long as you can. I have several cats and I've managed to be able to wait until a year with some of them. Um, others, I think the earliest I ever had to do it was seven months and that kitty was actually attacking me. So it's like, okay, you're going in tomorrow. <laughs> So you wait as long as you can, but you also don't want, if you have a male and female, you don't want to have a litter of kittens, right? So you have to be responsible, either separate them after five or six months, you have to keep them separate or get one of them done and wait for the other one. So that's a different, a, a bit of a different ball game. But with dogs, really the only aggression you would see in a dog that is intact is male on male aggression 
when there's females around that are stimulating that that competition, which is innate and very natural for them. But males do get more aggressive and can be more dominant and exhibit all that, you know, difficult behavior in that case. However, that's really the only thing. And many people will get their dog neutered because of it. And then the behavior doesn't change. Not only does the behavior not change, they might tone down a little bit. They might be a little bit more easier to train. You might have better, a little bit better control, but they start getting unusual fears, like more aggression towards their own family, fear of things that they were never afraid of before, abnormal fears. They were fine in the car before. Now they freak out when they go in the car or they're afraid of noises in the night where they used to be fine with that. So there is way more reactivity and way more aggression seen in dogs post spay or neuter. So we're not even we're not even solving that problem with spay and neuter. Yeah. It's an animal population. It was driven by animal population control. And that comes down to so rescues will will really get their noses out of joint. That's not really fair to say. Rightfully so, because we have an overpopulation of animals, and especially cats. Cats breed like crazy, and one intact female cat can have so many litters. And then all her little kittens have litters. And then those kittens have litters. And before you know it, you have thousands of cats. Yeah. So I, I, we understand, uh, understand the concern. But the, the key is when we're talking about their health, remaining intact is actually much healthier for them. And so is there a way for homeopathy to support animals that have been spayed and neutered? Yes, there are two things that can be done. One is giving them the ovaries or testicles made in homeopathic form. So it's kind of like you're you're giving the body what it's missing. So ovaries, canine ovaries, canine testicles, feline ovary and feline testicle will help rebalance that hormone dysfunction in the body. And the endocrine system is another thing that, that, that really gets taxed because when you take away a major part of that endocrine system, the adrenal glands, the thyroid, all of the glands in the body have to compensate for the loss of this hormone. So the loss of the ovaries and testicles. So you can give ovaries and testicles to them. And I usually do three doses once a month for maybe three months and then a single dose once a month will be really, really helpful. And you can also give luteinizing hormone. So again, if luteinizing hormone is is flowing freely and attaching itself to all these different body systems and causing dysfunction, you can give luteinizing hormone in homeopathic form to help balance that, to help rectify that. So there are t those two things you can do. You can also give hormone supplements. You can also give, um, I think Mercola has some really good hormone supplements for dogs. That's what I give to my dogs. Can't, yeah. So that's another thing, right? So you're giving, you're giving the glandulars in a supplement to them. When it comes to those supplements, is that something that they'll be on for the rest of their lives? Yes. Because that is a chronic problem that will exist for their whole lives. So it's not something that you can cure. The only way you can cure it is by putting the ovaries and the testicles back in. <laughs> and once they're gone, they're gone. You can't 
stick them back. So what do you think of the like more like I've been hearing about like an ovary sparing spay or kind of like more modified um, surgeries that they're trying to make more popular, you know, raise more awareness about these as an option. Is that something, is it, is it uh, still harmful as harmful? Is it better? It's way better. Okay. Because you, you leave those organs intact, but they won't get pregnant. And with females, they have the uterus removed, but the ovaries remain. So you still have the benefit of all the hormones. They're not going to go through the same type of a cycle, but they still will have cycles. Like they won't be bleeding. And they won't have that that discharge that they would have, which is coming from the uterus, but they will still have the behavioral aspect because the hormones are still on board. The ovaries are still producing, you know, they're still producing eggs. They're not going to go anywhere. They're just going to get reabsorbed by the body. So the ovary sparing spay for females is a really, really good option. You just need to find a vet that's skilled in doing it. Right. The problem is that sometimes when you leave so you're going to take out the uterus, the uterine horn, and leave the ovaries, but there could be some uterine tissue still left behind. So really, vets vets need to be taught these procedures in vet school. I really wish they would teach ovary sparing spay. So all they would get is a hysterectomy and a uh, vasectomy for dogs, for males. So there again, you've you've dealt with the animal population control issue not procreating when you don't want them to yet you're giving you're allowing them to still have their their health beneficial hormones yeah it's been really interesting learning about this after having come from you know such a shelter and rescue background and yes uh, it's you know been something to, to start wrapping my head around these last few years for sure <laughs> definitely the other thing that you avoid by taking out the uterus is pyometra so that is the other big concern for a female right pyometra is an infected uterus uh, if you have a closed pyometra, that uterus can become septic and it can be fatal. So if you have an intact female, that's probably the biggest thing you need to watch for. You need to check the mammary, the mammary chain to make sure there's no lumps developing and you need to really be on the lookout for pyometra. Gosh, my head is so like filled with information. <laughs> so for people who are brand new to homeopathy, I've seen like homeopathy pet kits um, being sold online. Is that something that people could invest in? Or are there a certain like ones that you would recommend to get started with? Like every home, every home needs in their first aid kit? Yeah, there, yeah, there are pet kits. I mean, the pet kits aren't really going to be that different from the human kits. They're in, in the course that, that we're teaching, we do a home, a, acute and first aid for humans acute and first aid for animals, being dogs and cats. And then people can also take both streams if they want to take both of them. There is a lot of crossover between human and animal homeopathy. The symptoms in animals and some of the pathologies are a little bit different. Like people don't suffer from bloat. So a twisted stomach or things like that. People won't usually be ingesting rocks or socks and getting them stuck. <laughs> At least not, maybe some people do, but eating indigestible things. So there, there are things that happen with, 
with animals that might be a little bit different in terms of acute and first aid stuff. But injuries are the same, like musculoskeletal injuries are the same. Vomiting and diarrhea can be similar. It depends on what it's what it's being caused by. But so much of it is going to be very parallel, right? When you get a homeopathic uh, first aid kit or an acute or emergency first aid kit, there are some standard remedies that are going to be in there. And then it'll give you sort of a, a rundown of, of when you would use these remedies. So I usually recommend things like Arnica, um, Apis, um, Bellus perennis for deeper tissue trauma. Cantharis is a really good remedy for urinary tract issues. We can often get, especially with kitties, right? Cystitis and urinary tract issues. Cantharis is a really good remedy to have in your kit for that. Calendula for tissue healing. Um, arsenicum is really good for diarrheas. Uh, phosphorus for diarrhea with any kind of blood or hemorrhage. Phosphorus is really, really good for that. It's also a good pancreas remedy, a good kidney remedy. Uh, Nux vomica, also called colubrina, really good for liver stuff and toxicity. Two remedies are really, really good. Arsenicum for animals because with dogs, they often will be ingesting gross things that can make them sick. So something of bacterial contamination type of origin, the diarrhea associated with that and the vomiting is really, really indicated for arsenicum, whereas nux vomica is really good for poisoning. So if they've ingested poison stuff, or even dogs that eat tons of grass, right? They've got really digestive upset and then they're trying to vomit up the grass. Nux vomica is really good for that. Um, cats that eat plants, Toxic things, right? Kitties will will get themselves into trouble with that. So Nuxvamaka is really, really good for that. Gosh, Ruta for sprains, ACL problems, um, soft tissue injuries. Ruta is really good. Rustox for for uh, arthritic type dogs where they get better once they get going. So Rustox is a really good remedy. Rustox is really good. It's made from uh, poison ivy. So if you think about rustox, right, a little blistery, itchy skin stuff, rustox is really good for that kind of stuff too. Hmm. So, I mean, gosh, guys, there are so many remedies. Silica and thuya, fantastic remedies to have. Thuya is really good for warts. Um, silica uh, for splinters and foreign objects under the skin. They can literally push them out. Foxtails, grass seeds that get stuck. Silica is very good for getting rid of those things. Um, Silica thuya, our two top anti-vaccinosin remedy. So if you're needing to give vaccines, which hopefully you'll be doing titers instead of vaccines, but if you need to give a vaccine, give silica and thuya afterwards. For how long? Just every eight hours for three doses. Should be good. But animals that have had a lot of vaccinosis, like a lot of vaccines in their life, I would probably do them for even a, a, a seven to 10 days, of course, twice daily of silica thuya 30C to really help the body get rid of the toxic elements, which get stored in the body in fat cells, usually. Hepar sulf, hepar sulf calc for hot spots, um, infections, uh, like bacterial infections of the skin. I use Hepersulf a lot for that. Ear infections. So those really floppy down ears. 
Hepersulf is really, really good for that. When you're using that, do you put it in the ear or still in, on the gut? No, this is all homeopathic that I'm talking about. Okay. So in the mouth, I would use 200C of Hepersulf calc for those kinds of conditions. I have a dog that gets hot spots and it just works like a charm. There's, I mean, we're talking about homeopathy. There, there is, you can't just do homeopathy. You can just do homeopathy, but it's always in conjunction with, so you have an ear infection. So you, you need to also clean out that ear. Mm-hmm. You need to physically do something when you have an abscess. So Hepersulf is good for abscesses, abscesses or hot spots. You need to be cleaning and flushing and draining. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there. So like when you have really big open wounds, here's a really good example. When you have like a big open wound that needs to heal on its own because they can't put the tissue back together without a graft, you use you can use water therapy. So literally running water over that wound will stimulate tissue and, and skin cells to grow so we've we've done that with with quite a few animals when we worked in clinic where we were literally using water hydrotherapy to heal big open wounds. And when it comes to these treatments how long, you know, on average does it take for people to even start seeing oh this is really working? It can almost be immediate, Kimberly, or it can take a little bit longer. So In the case of things like trauma and bruising, or even anxiety, like that shocky kind of anxiety, like firework stuff, a lot of dogs suffer from that. Yeah. When you give a remedy like aconite, I didn't talk about aconite, aconite, aconite and arnica, number number one and number two remedies to have at home, always get a big vial, (laughs) aconite. You can you can see an animal calming down with aconite. Not always. Sometimes their their anxiety is so intense that you need something more. Like CBD can work really well for some animals. Rescue remedy works well for some animals. So some of those herbs in the or so the flower essences or other herbs. But aconite is a really, really good remedy for fear and anxiety. And and higher potency is good when you have those intense symptoms and a lot of first aid stuff. So 200C or even a 1M. So you can see results almost immediately after you give it. Or when you have something really intense going on, you can give it every 15 to 30 or, or even 60 minutes for several doses. So like in the case of a bee sting, mm-hmm. you want to be giving that remedy I would give aconite and apis, high potency, every 15 minutes until you start seeing the swelling coming down. They usually get bitten in the face, right? Yep. So when you have a facial bee sting, you have risk of the throat closing up. So that inflammation goes into the throat. Now you have a an anaphylactic situation where you need to get to emergency right away because they can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, aconite and apis combined has a tremendous power to stop it from progressing into respiratory distress. So, or when you have things, so, so say for a diarrhea, you're not going to see a change right away. Yeah. So you, you're giving the remedy maybe every two hours for two doses, then every four hours for two doses, then see what the next stool is like. Sometimes when they have diarrhea, they're literally like they're running outside every half an hour and they're, 
they've got to go, right? And it's just like shooting out of them. So when you have intense symptoms like that, you do it more frequently. And then once they seem to be a little better, then you start spacing out the dosing more. Mm -hmm. So in a case of something like that, you might want to give it four or six hours of, you know, after, after six doses, maybe six or eight doses, then you should start seeing a change. And if you're not really seeing a change after that, like between the six and eight hour period, really, this is where the individualization comes in, where you might need to get some advice from somebody because you need to know when to change remedies. Okay, this isn't working or they're getting worse. Then you want to stop and try a different remedy. Maybe you'll need phosphorus. Maybe you'll need arsenicum. Maybe Nuxvomica is a better remedy for them. Remedies like CarboVeg is another really good remedy for loss of fluids. Um, China, another, or Cinchona, another good remedy for fluid loss. So what happens when they have vomiting and diarrhea, they can get dehydrated really fast. Mm -hmm. And if that's happening, you might have to use something like China instead. China's a really good remedy. Um, It's made from Cinchona bark. It used to be used to treat malaria. So malaria has like really intense fevers and diarrheas and vomiting and like you're really deathly sick and loss of fluids. Um, Loss of fluids, you check your animal, you check their capillary refill on their gums, right? Their gums should always be pink. When you press down, the color should come back very quickly. If their gums are pale or gray or white, you've either got dehydration, shock, some sort of a circulation problem or anemia, something going on, right? Phosphorus, China, and CarboVeg. CarboVeg is a really collapsed, sort of dehydrated, flat state. Really white gums, pale gums. CarboVegetabilis, another really good remedy to have on hand. So how long does it take? It really depends on what's going on. With a more sort of a milder symptoms, you you can maybe wait 24 hours and see how they do on the remedy or 48 hours if they if their energy is good and they seem to be improving. So it yeah, it's a quite a learning curve actually. Sounds like it. So if you're giving the wrong remedy for your situation, is there any like are you doing any harm? Uh is there any, you know, if you pick the wrong thing, is there a chance of doing any harm to your animal? Uh, no, you know, you're not going to cause harm with homeopathy, but if they're getting worse, then you're giving a remedy and they keep getting worse, then you can end up causing harm by not dealing with the symptoms. And then they can get so bad that it's like, okay, now I really do have to go to emergency or to the vet with them. But homeopathy by its nature is harmless. So you can get something called an aggravation from a remedy, and usually aggravations happen very quickly. So if you have a symptom you're trying to treat and you give a remedy and they're like way worse in the next hour or two, you need to stop that remedy. They could have an aggravation. What happens with aggravations, though, is once you stop the remedy within a course of you know 24 hours, they should be markedly better. It's just that that remedy stimulated the system too much and it could be maybe because the potency was too high so when you're choosing potencies 
That's an important thing as well. You want to, if you have a really elderly animal that's very weak and sort of fragile, or even a young animal that's got a lot of, you know, they're really super sensitive, you maybe want to go with no higher than a 30C, even if they have intense symptoms, because a higher potency might cause an aggravation, has more of a risk of causing an aggravation. And therefore, one thing you don't want to do is make them worse. So it's always, it's always, it's kind of what we teach in this course as well, is knowing the appropriate use of potencies and repetition. And so your course is actually like a live interactive course. Is that right? We ran the first course in the fall of last year. It's a 40 hour program. And the whole thing was live last year. (laughs) So Linda and I was the first time that we, we taught together and it was really, really cool because we've got a really good back and forth with each other. So we've created a website. So I think the website you're referring to is my my website, andrearing.ca. So we've created homeoed.com, which is our teaching website. Okay. I'll make sure we have a link in the show notes. Yeah. Homeoed.com. So if you go to the courses page, you'll see the courses laid out on there. You click on the course, you can order it. And then the vast majority of it this time will be recorded. But we do a live portion at the beginning of every weekend. We're still figuring out how much live will we do. But all those lessons are pre-recorded. But people have chance to like email questions or, or, you know, we're very interactive with the students that way. But most of it will be recorded this time. And the beauty of that as well is that quite a few people are asking, well, I don't know if I'm not available on that Saturday or I'm not available. We do have, like it starts March 25th and 26th, and it's one week and a month for four months. And it's approximately 40 hours in length of learning time. And there's work to be done in between as well. So there's some reading to be done. There's some homework to be done. Probably, you know, setting aside maybe between two and four hours a week to do homework. But they're recorded. So if somebody misses, say, the live thing, the live thing will be there so they can watch it almost right away. And then they can click on each lesson. So as long as they watch all the lessons in a reasonable time frame, it doesn't all have to be done on that day or the next day. Okay, great. So people can work it into their own schedule. People can work it in as they're able to do it, but you want to kind of watch things fairly soon because there's some work to do in between. So, and you'll have to kind of watch the lessons to know how to understand the homework for that month. This sounds really exciting and really in-depth. I'm I'm very excited to learn more about it. Well, it's very exciting. You know, guys, we're, we're living in a world where... Things are changing. And COVID has really changed the landscape of medicine Mm -hmm. because we're realizing how much our conventional medical systems, both for humans and animals, are failing. So you try to get into a vet these days and it, you know, it can take a while for you to get in. You try, try to find a holistic vet, that's a huge challenge. And veterinarians especially the holistic ones are really, really busy. So some aren't even taking new clients. So the more that we can do to help ourselves at home and take our health and our futures into our own hands, 
we have we have to do it because y- you don't want to end up in emergency more mistakes are being made in our medical systems people are overworked doctors are overworked nurses are overworked we're we're losing them by the day retiring or quitting we lost a lot of healthcare workers who refused to get vaccinated they were fired and they haven't come back yeah and we don't have enough doctors and nurses filling in those positions and it's the same thing in veterinary medicine more vets are retiring every single day my I have clients contacting me saying my vets like who who can i go see my holistic vet just retired and it's like i don't know because whoever i refer you to has a waiting list for people <laughs> for new for new patients so if we can learn how to use homeopathy at home if we can learn how to assess our animals so that's what we go through too we go through vital signs we go through understanding blood work what is a healthy life for your animal how can we raise our animals healthy from the very beginning there are there are three sort of main pillars of health that uh we talk about in the course one is lifestyle one is nutrition and diet and one is well well really two vaccine and vaccines and uh spay and neuter so if you start your animal from the very beginning and try to avoid all of the things that will potentially create a downfall in their health and then have tools to treat them at home it's really easy to treat puppies you know aside from them getting parvo right where they they have to be hospitalized but the vast majority of issues can be dealt with at home but you have to know how to assess them and you have to know what's an emergency and what's not an emergency but so many times clients have said to me you know how many times i have avoided having to go to the vet because you helped me with remedies or you taught me how to use these remedies and it's like within 24 hours okay i don't need to go to the vet now they're perfectly back to normal so having that confidence to use the remedies and know how to use them for any condition that comes up and also knowing when it's appropriate to go to the vet and and we i mean we love our veterinarians they're they're doing amazing work especially the holistic ones out there we want to work in conjunction with our veterinarians we want to have really good relationships with them so this is this is to enhance and help you navigate your animal's own health and to help you work more collaboratively with your vet understanding blood work is one of the things we go through and diagnostics just so you have you know you're not completely in the dark sitting there waiting for the veterinarian to call you oftentimes if there's nothing wrong the vet doesn't call you back yeah i've experienced that they get the staff you know you need to call it's like i'm just waiting on pins and needles uh yeah he's really busy so they prioritize all of their cases of who needs to be called back right away in a day so what i always tell people is that make sure the vet clinic sends you the blood work right away as soon yes. as it's in yes i want my blood work sent to me i paid for this send it to me to my email right away and then when the vet calls me that's fine whenever they get back to me but then you can see so what happens is people get the blood work sent they send it to me <laughs> we go through it and we say okay it looks like it's pancreatitis or the liver values are really high we have some kidney stuff so we're already giving remedies before the vet even calls back so that by the time the vet at least we're already doing something and because homeopathy doesn't cause harm 
it's it's something that we can do already if we already have an idea of what's happening. Yeah, I always tell people to make sure they get a copy of their blood work and review it because I had something big missed in my dog's blood work years ago. And, and thankfully, we went and got a second opinion and, you know, we're able to get her properly diagnosed through the second opinion. But for wow. three months, she was having seizures uh, from low blood sugar and they had wow. never told us she had no low blood blood sugar. So, uh, yeah, I, that's a big, I, that was like a big learning lesson for me <laughs> about the importance of getting your copies of everything. Wow, that's amazing. Well, and it is true because, you know what, nobody's perfect and veterinarians aren't perfect either. And neither is the healthcare system. So if you're just relying 100 percent, you you need you need to take back that that I'm not going to say control, but you need to be responsible for your own animal. Yeah. Empower yourself. Empower to- yourself that those are the hallmarks of our website, empowering education, educating and inspiring people. It's so true what you were saying about because I recently had to switch veterinarians because I was driving a long distance and it just became counterintuitive for me. And the only veterinarian that I trusted, I didn't know this veterinarian, but I know the office manager and I trust her. So it was a traditional vet. So now I'm going to a vet that I'm going to have to, I'm sitting here like, well, I'm going to have to talk about raw and I'm going to have to talk about, you know, well, no, I'm not going to vaccinate. And I use CBD oil. Yes, there are studies that show the benefits of CBD oil. I was like working myself up to just be prepared for these conversations. But thankfully, because my friend is the office manager, I went in and I think partly that, and I think it's partly because we're starting to see some veterinarians kind of back off a little bit and have more of an open mind. They haven't given me any problems. I mean, we, we it's a dream relationship where I took Rodrigo in for the first. He's now 13. He turned 13 on Friday. Aww. That's a big Happy deal birthday. because his very first vet said that he wouldn't live long past his third birthday. So wow. that is, yeah, that is like such a huge deal. Why, why did the vet say that? Honestly, it's, it's so sad because now all these years later, my dog had allergies. I mean, but back then I didn't know anything about anything. And I just kept taking him in because he had an ear infection. Oh, he has a skin rash. Oh, he's licking his paws all the time. Oh, his skin has turned red in this area. Oh no, he, you know, it was just one thing after the other, after the other. And then of course he would prescribe antibiotics. It would go away and then it would come back bigger and better because his gut Mm-hmm. Um, Laura was completely out of whack. I mean, it was, I am, and now today I understand exactly what was going on and what I was seeing. But then I was just like, what is wrong with my dog? And the vet was just like, yeah, I don't really know what to tell you. It's too bad. And I was just sort of like, that just doesn't sound right to me, thankfully, and started doing my homework. And he's now 13 years old. And, Um, but I took him in and they talk, we talked about vaccines. They're like, do you want to, cause rabies is required by law here. And they were like, do you want to do the rabies? And I was like, nope, not at his age. I don't feel comfortable with it. And they were like, okay, what about this? And I'm like, not at his age. And I just said, you know, he is, he stays home and we have a big yard. So it's not like a hardship on him. Uh, He doesn't interact with dogs except for the other dogs in the home. And, and, you know, and I just talked about his risk levels and we mm-hmm. have really great conversations with each of our vets and they take the time to explain, you know, this is why we want to go in this direction. And we talk about, well, this is my concern. 
And it was such, it's just a breath of fresh air. But I think that we're starting to come into a space where pet parents are going to have to be able to find a way to advocate without being combative with their veterinarians if they're going to want to have a veterinarian. Because as you said, you know, gosh, during the pandemic, I thought that that was over. When they started opening everything up, it's like, oh, finally. But no, it's still some veterinarians, it's really hard to get in. If if it's a really good popular veterinarian, um, I basically have had to have a friend of a friend to get me into a veterinarian. I had When I had a dog with cancer, she, um, wonderful veterinarian who was recommended, her is two friends, they're best friends, and one's up north, one's down south. And they got me in, but she just squeezed me in between appointments to see my dog. And, and it's just like, wow, why is it this hard? I mean, I, we have so many veterinarians here in the Pacific Northwest, but mm-hmm. it is it's hard to get into a, you know, especially somewhere close by that's not inconvenient. That's not going to be super expensive. Yeah, it is. You know what? It, it's, it's really challenging. It underscores the direction that our world is going in. Yeah. We have more sick people, we have more sick animals, and we have fewer people to help. Yeah. And and we are losing trust. And I, I think that that's hard too, is the lack of the the lack of conversation when you when you see people like veterinarians or vet students on social media, you know aggressively attacking a modality that someone else is like, this saved my dog. Yeah. You know, it, no, oh, there's Rodrigo. He has something to say, he has something <laughs> to say about that. But that's one of the things that it erodes our trust where now when you go to the vet, you know, I, cause I see this comment on Facebook all the time, all they care about is making money. And it's just like, I don't think that that's what it is. I just think that we are walking parallel paths you know, a hundred feet apart and we're just not able to connect with each other. It it's, it's a situation where like I do the same thing. So I work, I work with some veterinarians who refer patients to me and we work collaboratively together. And there are a lot of veterinarians who are really becoming more open-minded to alternatives because their medicine isn't working even for their own animals. So they're seeking help to see what else can I do? What else can I add into my toolkit that might be helpful? And they might have someone go in that uses homeopathy or uses traditional Chinese medicine uh, and and naturopathic. There is no such thing as an animal naturopath because there's really no training for that. But there's animal herbalists. There are traditional Chinese medicine. There's home- homeopathy, chiropractic I mean, we have all chiropractic physio. We have we have all of these modalities available. And they might be going into the veterinarian and saying, even to their conventional vet, this is what I've been using, and it's been working really beautifully. And vets are seeing, you know, like ACL tears, healing without surgery, and quite extraordinary things that they would, would not have, have thought would be happening, or kidney disease issues, or, or cancers even. So vets are really opening their mind way more to to these different modalities. So I use a conventional vet for my animals. And I go and he knows I feed raw and he's he 
supports that. So he supports people that are choosing that path because he's very, he, he does have a holistic mind, but he's very conventional. You know, he's got all the dry food on the shelf and yeah. he does the vaccines, although he doesn't, he passed a certain age, he doesn't do them anymore. But I go in and I say, okay, this is what I want. <laughs> we need some blood work done. I'd like to get some x-rays done. He's like, yeah, sure. I'm on board with that. Gets it done, sends me all the information, he calls me back if he needs to. But it's like I'm using the same way I go to my doctor when I need something done. I take it on advisement, what they recommend, and then I choose how I want to treat myself. So I'm doing the same thing with my animal. I've been doing it for a long time, so I feel very confident. But there are times when I need emergency medicine. There are times when I need input from a, a, a veterinarian that is skillful and knows what they're doing. So if you have a good conventional vet, you can work collaboratively with that vet for the things you need and then agree on, on you know, want to try homeopathy for a while? Okay, let's see how that works. It's not a life-threatening thing. Sometimes with heart diseases and sometimes with severe pathology, you need some drugs on board. And that's okay because we can do that and homeopathy as well. So you always weigh out how severe is this? What's the best way to treat? What options do we have alternatively? What options do we have conventionally? What would the side effects be? Is is the cure worse than the disease? So there's always so many things to take into consideration, but that's, that's how I do it too. What was your career path before you got into doing this? Did you make like a huge left turn? I made a, like a 360 degree, well, 180. Yeah. I used to be in, in uh, news, radio news broadcasting. Oh, okay. Wow. And journalism. So I I always had a holistic mind. I was, you know, raised with with parents that that loved animals as well, and we always had dogs and cats running around, and my father was very holistic. He saw a naturopath, but I was pretty conventional in terms of my my own animal for many years. But I yeah, so I um yeah, I was a radio news anchor, broadcaster, journalist, did documentary work. When mm -hmm. I met Julianne Lee, I was working in radio full-time at the time in Vancouver, and I decided to do a radio, a 10-part radio series on raw food diet over vaccination for dogs and cats. Wow. This was in 1999. Wow. It was really controversial at the time, but it yeah, was very yeah. well received. And because of the tremendous success I saw with my dog, then I didn't really think there was any hope for him. Um, I left my radio career. I enrolled in homeopathic college. I started working full time at Adored Beast Veterinary Clinic with Julianne and followed her throughout her career. And then my developing career for Wow, 1999 until, well, to this day. But I worked, I worked in veterinary clinics up until probably 2014. And then, and then I just, well, no, actually, I worked with another, another veterinarian here, Dr. Cheryl Burke, for a couple of years in her clinic. And we still collaborate on a lot of cases and work quite, quite closely together. Um, but yeah, I, I completely reinvented myself at the age of, Oh, God. How old was I? I don't even remember. It's been almost 20 years, though. <laughs> 25 years. 
I have three dogs and eight cats. Oh, wow. Yeah, I live on an acreage and uh, I have probably a three quarter acre cat proof and it's not an enclosure, but it's fencing. It's cat proof fencing and predator proof fencing because we have tons of coyotes running around. They run up and down. There's all different families screaming and yipping and yelling all <laughs> yeah. night long, especially this time of year. They're starting up. <laughs> yeah. So my cat, the doors open all day. The cats go in and out. The dogs go in and out. Everybody's a rescue. Yeah. That definitely speaks our, our to our hearts too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to make sure that we have links in the show notes for your new course. I'm really excited to learn more. I'm trying to figure out if I can do this or not, oh, <laughs> like time-wise. Because exactly. <laughs> I'm, I just, I really want to learn more about this. I, there's like, I wrote down my list of four things that I use, which is Arnica, Nux Vomica, Letum, and Tromiel. And I'm like, this is all I know. <laughs> wow. Letum is a good one too. I didn't mention that one for tick bites. Yeah, that's what I keep it on hand for. Tick bites. Sorry, I'm going to throw something into the end. Letum or letum, whichever way you pronounce it, is really good for tick bites. It prevents tick-borne diseases from progressing into the bloodstream. But the important thing is to get the tick off before 48 hours, right, when it starts transmitting those diseases. And puncture wounds. So animals get puncture wounds, right? All the time they get little fights or whatever, but especially deep puncture wounds, it prevents sepsis. And hypericum, homeopathic hypericum prevents uh, tetanus. So it's oh, wow. anti-tetanus. So hypericum is another one. Really good nerve remedy, nerve pain, nerve injury remedy. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I'm so fascinated. No, <laughs> I want to know all the things. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on guys. It was really great to meet you and I'm happy to share all this information with, with folks. 